We're in Mark chapter 5. Turn there in your Bibles today. Preaching through the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament. There are 37 miracles recorded in the New Testament that were done by Jesus. There were many more as he walked the earth, and there are many more still today because guess what? He still does miracles. And we study these and we get not to be there and see them with our own eyes, but blessed are those who believe and do not see. So we, we experience the miracles of Jesus through the pages of Scripture. The Holy Spirit brings them alive to us. And we're in Mark chapter 5. This is part two of the miracle where Jesus raises Jairus' daughter. Jairus is a prominent man. He's someone who's a ruler in the temple. And Jesus is about to do a miracle in a prominent man's life. And there will be a ripple effect throughout the spiritual community by what Jesus does here. Realize God does things strategically, amen? And there's some strategy in here as the kingdom of God is advancing. Let's just thank God for the word. Then I'm going to read uh, to you this miracle in Mark chapter 5. Remember, this miracle is a miracle within a miracle. So there's the woman with the issue of blood who's healed as Jesus is on his way. I'm going to skip that part, but we're going to read about Jairus' daughter. Father, thank you for... Your word. Thank you for Mark chapter 5. Thank you for allowing us to experience the miracles of Jesus through the pages of your living word. Holy Spirit, make it come alive to us this morning and help us to take away the principles that will strengthen our walk with you. We ask all this in Jesus' name and the church said. So, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Remember, I'm going to skip uh, the part with the woman with the issue of blood because we preach through that. For continuity's sake, we're just going to look at Jairus' miracle here. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd following him pressed in on him. We skip 25, and we go right to 35 here. It says, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed not one he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing and entering in. He said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began to laugh at him. But putting them all out, he took only the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the little girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he said that something should be given to her to eat. So there's the miracle, and we're working our way up to the crescendo here. But what I want you to see is, the process that's taking place here, last week we noted that humility and desperation are what got God's attention, amen? Jairus was humble. He bowed before Jesus. 
He begged him to do something. He was desperate to the point where he was willing to, you know, lower himself. Here's a prominent man bowing at the feet of really his spiritual adversary. The, the, the religious community did not get along well with Jesus. He was a threat to their power and their control over the people, and they constantly butted heads with him. Jarius breaks rank. He goes and he humbles himself. He's desperate before Jesus, and he shows faith. He says, if you lay your hands on her, she will get well. I mean, that's big faith. The miracle continues here. And what I want you to see is uh, the miracle unfolds. Jarius' faith continues to be tested in every way. And I want you to notice the closer that Jesus moves to getting his hands on this girl, the more resistance you're going to see. The enemy tries to stop the miracle before Jesus can get there and perform it. And I want you to know something. The closer you get through to a breakthrough in your life, you can count on the resistance getting hotter and hotter. In fact, some people give up when, the, when it gets so hot and it gets so dark that they give up, and you're right about to break through. Listen to me. If it's hot and the enemy's resisting you and everyone's telling you no but God's telling you yes, don't quit. Keep pushing through. Resistance is part of what it takes to see miracles happen. Now, the resistance comes in layers, and we're going to cover them uh, as the scripture unfolds here. But this week, we're only going to look at two verses, and we're going to look at the first three layers of resistance. It, in 35, it says, while he was still speaking, it came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Verse 36, but Jesus, overhearing what was spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer only believe. We're just going to cover those two verses and see the first three layers of resistance. The first layer of resistance comes at these words, your daughter is dead. Now for a parent in a situation like this where there's anxiety, there's uncertainty, there's sickness, this is the worst possible news that a parent can hear. Jarius and his wife have received you know, the things that nightmares are made of. They say, your daughter's sick. You know, go get Jesus. He's on his way. Jesus is coming. Yet the report comes to him before Jesus gets there. Your daughter is dead. You say, what's the layer of resistance? This is what it is. What does this mean to Mr. and Mrs. Jarius? It means that their issue has now gone past the point of what most people believe is possible. You see, most people, Lou, would think, you know, you can pray for the sick and they'll get better. But praying for the dead, come on, pastor, that's like a different layer right there. In fact, I would venture to say most of us have seen the sick healed, have the faith to pray for the sick, have prayed for ourselves when we're sick. I mean, am I on the right track? And seen God heal us, amen? But, you know, when it comes to raising the dead, a lot of people say, well, that's in now into the realm of impossibility. Even though Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that will believe, you know, and there's things that greater things than this shall we do. And Jesus raised the dead. And so, you know, it is within the realm of what the church is to do. Pray for the sick, raise the dead. All of these things are possible. Someone say amen. amen. Yet we look at that and think, you know, now this is past the point of what most people believe is possible. Uh, I'll never forget as a pastor walking into a hospital room and before I got in the room, I could hear the weeping and the wailing outside the door. You know, being a pastor is not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of heartbreaking situations 
that you walk into. I'll never forget just the weeping and the, and the wailing, and it just, it, it like pierced my spirit. I could feel the pain. And I walked in, and I saw this family around a dead loved one on, on a gurney there. And the, and the woman grabbed me by the hand and said, Pastor, please pray that God would raise him from the dead. Please, I, I know you believe God can do that, Pastor. I know. Would you please pray? And the Holy Spirit saying to me, he, he's gone. He's with me. I had no release to pray that prayer. And I had to convince the family that this was God's will and this is, you know, he's with the Lord. And, and it was just a heartbreaking situation. But it was something in me said, hey, pastor, do you have the faith to pray that God would raise the dead? Quiet, you're all looking at me. Yeah, and I do believe that God can raise the dead. And I do believe in praying prayers like that when the Lord releases them to us. But there are times when we discern the will of God as a, as a, as a shepherd and you just know. But the level of praying for, of course, we'll pray for the sick. But man, once they're dead, that's beyond the point of most people's faith. So their issue had just reached critical mass. And most people would say, you know what, it's okay to throw in the towel now. And that's the first layer of resistance that, you know, we would think, well, it's not possible at this point. Maybe the situation in your life, the situation in your health, in your marriage, in your finances, you think it's beyond the realm of possibility. Now it's in the realm of the impossible. Well, I have good news for you today. We serve a God who does the impossible. We serve a God of miracles. We serve a God who breathes life into dead things. Jesus is about to walk into that room and pick up that little girl and raise her up. But Jarius is confronted here with this first level of resistance. And he has a choice to make when he hears those words, your daughter is dead. Will he abandon his faith, abandon the trek to his house, or will he keep the faith? Our God does miracles, but they require faith. Yes, the little girl is reported to be gone, but Jesus brings people off of their deathbed and back to life. So the first layer of resistance is that. It's beyond the realm of possibility. The second layer of resistance is this. When he says, your daughter is dead. Now listen to the next words here. They seem benign, but they're really not. He says, why trouble the teacher any further? Think about that. Now, there's some implications in there. <clears throat> this statement subtly implies two things that are completely false. The first falsehood that's implied here in the statement, why trouble the teacher any further, is this. Our desperation in our time of need is a nuisance to God. See the implication there? Why trouble the teacher? What's he saying? You're bothering Jesus. You're, you're, you're making him come, and there's no point now. It's a nuisance to him. And that's what the enemy wants us to feel like, that our trouble, our trial, our need, our serious situation that's imploded is, is something that's a nuisance to bring to God, as if we bring it to him, it's a bother. I can tell you without any doubt that Jesus wasn't bothered by this man, Jairus. In fact, knowing the heart that Jesus had for people, when he saw him bow down and he saw him weep and he saw him break rank and he saw him cry out, he was, I guarantee he was motivated and filled with compassion for the man. And knowing all things, knowing, I look, I'm going to stop and heal this lady with the issue of blood and Jarius is going to get bad news while I do it. This wasn't a surprise to Jesus. 
Jesus is not on the walkie-talkie, huh? calling Father, calling Father in heaven. We got trouble down here. What's going on? This miracles. No, he knew exactly what was going on. And so he knew that this guy's about to come unraveled here. Uh, he's going to get this bad news. But he, it was not a nuisance to him to come and meet the needs of this man. Our desperation in a time of need is not a nuisance to God. That's a lie. God is intimately aware of what's going on in our lives. He knows where we're at. He knows where we're stuck. He sees our tears at night. He knows where we're scared or we're anxious, and we are not a nuisance to him. There are many people that when we ask for their help, they make us feel like a nuisance. Have you ever gone to a person and you needed their help? And by the time they were down, you know, made you feel so bad, they made you feel like garbage because you needed help. Come on. I know, I know all of us have experienced that. You know, and by the time we had convinced them to help us, by the time they were done working us over, it wasn't worth it. And they did that on purpose so we wouldn't come a second time. Why? Because those people are not servants. They're selfish. And to you, you know, to them, you are a nuisance because it's all about them. Come on. I know there's no selfish people here today, but I'm trying to describe one so you can get the gist of what it is. And, you know, they're done. by the time you get their help, man, I'm never going back to that guy for anything. That's not God. God doesn't do that when we come to him. Oh, I can't believe it. This is your fault. Come on, Rick, how many times have I told you? Don't, Rick, you should get a copy of the Bible because if you'd read it, you wouldn't get in trouble like this. God doesn't do that to us. When we come broken, when we come humble, when we come in faith, we're not a nuisance to him. There are three scriptures that show God's heart towards us and things like this. Number one is Psalm 37, starting in verse 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears, hallelujah. And he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Come on, that's God there, amen. He's near to those who are broken and messed up and in trouble. You know, most of the time, that's the last person you want to be near, right? When you're broken and messed up and in trouble, you got problems, you got bills, and you got, I mean, like, David, when he, when he was fleeing from Saul, what he was surrounded by all these people who were broken and debt and in trouble, amen? He got all these people around him. I wonder if David had any hair left. But we, we wouldn't choose to surround ourselves with that. But God does. He's near to the brokenhearted. Listen to Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, God speaking, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Come on, church. That's the God you serve. You're not a nuisance to him. Well, I got trouble, I got problem, I got sin. I've been doing the same thing over and over again. I feel embarrassed at this point. God's got to be sick of me. It's a lie. It's a layer of resistance. It's the enemy trying to keep you away from the miracle God has planned for you. Isaiah 49, 15, listen to this. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget yet I will not forget you. Wow. God's saying this. Look, I know some days nobody loves you but your mama. She carried you, she nursed you, amen, and she loves you, right? But I love you even more than that. Even if you wear your mother out, God says, I'm still here. 
Come on, some of us have given that the test, right? That's how God loves us. You're not a nuisance to him. Don't stay away from him. He's got a miracle with your name on it. You come to him. Don't let that layer of resistance keep you away. Your daughter's dead. Oh, now it's beyond the realm of the possible. Why trouble the teacher? Well, the first falsehood about that is that, you know, our desperation is a nuisance. The second part is this. The second falsehood is the sensible thing to do is to give up and abandon your faith. See, that's what's implied in that statement. But why bother the teacher any further? You know, it's beyond the realm of possibility, so you might as well just give up, and you might as well just accept it, and you might as just, well just let your faith go because it's over, Jarius. Now, I don't know who said this because the Scripture doesn't say. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But listen to me. This sounds like it's coming straight out of hell. Because basically what that, uh, that statement is implying is that you should give up. And it's the sensible thing to do. Why trouble the teacher? Why, why are you putting him through this? Why are you, you know, just let it go. Just give up. Just tap out. Just give, you know, it's beyond the realm of possibility. Do you see the lie that's there? The darkness knows it can never stop us if we maintain our faith. The darkness knows the only way it can stop us if we quit on our faith and we abandon it. Because without faith, listen, we're dead in the water already. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, there's no Jesus on the scene. There's no miracle in the works. Consider the implications of Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you for everyone that asks receive and everyone who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened so let me ask you a question having heard that scripture when is it time to stop asking to stop seeking and to stop knocking that's right never that's exactly the right answer it's never time to quit it's never well i'm gonna ask and i'm gonna seek and i'm gonna knock until when until god meets me until god answers me until god moves into my situation remember it's tenacity sometimes it's desperation god's not hard of hearing his battery didn't die in his miracle ear he hears you sometimes he makes us wait to build some tenacity in us could you imagine if we got everything the first time we asked? This is stuff we have to learn as children, you know? Children who get everything they want the first time they ask, they, they're, they're, they're called, you know, they're spoiled. They're, they have no patience. <laughs> going to leave that alone. But the lie here is that, you know, you should just abandon your faith. It's over. The sensible thing to do is just to stop. But, but Matthew's telling us, ask, seek, and knock. We should never stop. We should keep asking and seeking. Uh, Martin Luther said, God our Father has made all things dependent on faith so that whosoever has faith will have everything and whosoever does not have faith will have nothing. What's your choice today? Everything or nothing? That's dependent on your faith. Not my faith, not your neighbor's faith, not your mother's faith, not your father's faith, your faith. If you're going to have the promises of God and the miracles of God and the deliverance of God and the presence of God in your life, you'll need to maintain your faith. Don't quit. Don't stop asking. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop seeking. Be like Paul. Run your race. Fight your fight. 
finish the course and keep the faith. So there's some layers of resistance here to deal with for Jarius. And as the miracle unfolds, it's going to heat up. In fact, God willing, if we get together next week, we'll cover We'll cover the, the other ones, but the first three here, we're going to look at, we, we got the fact that it's beyond the past, the point of the probable, it's into the impossible now. You know, there's this whole, you know, leave Jesus alone, you know, you're a nuisance at this point, and we see that. But in verse 36, we see the third layer, and that's the last one we're going to cover this week. And verse 36 says this, and I want you to, Mark has a sense of immediacy in his writing. He, he says that a lot, immediately, immediately, immediately. I mean, maybe Mark drank a lot of coffee, I'm not sure. But, you know, that sense of immediacy is really present here in verse 36. And it says, as soon as Jesus heard, so that's immediately, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Now, somebody was speaking to Jarius. Someone came and gave him the bad news that his daughter was dead. Someone was speaking to him. The text does not say who is speaking, but what they had spoken was definitely not the word of the Lord. And I want you to see that. Yeah, the child had died, but then this whole thing about, you know, leave the teacher alone, stop being a nuisance, you know, just why bother him? This person was speaking to Jarius, but he was not speaking the word of the Lord. And I want you to know something. You and I need to be very selective about who we let speak into our lives. And even so much more when we're in crisis. You and I need to be, don't just let any old person speak into your life. And I want to say this, before you let anyone speak into your life, you need to speak with the Lord. If you and I won't go to the Lord with our problems and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and then we just go collecting counsel from whoever we choose to collect counsel from, there's a good, you know, we're going to be deceived. So we've got to speak to the Lord first about our issue, and Jarius did. He came right to Jesus. But we've got to be careful who we let speak into our lives. Now, I want to say something about that. It doesn't matter if the person speaking into our life is well-meaning. You would think, well, they like me. They're for me. You know, they, they want to see things work out for me. That doesn't matter. In fact, if you remember in Scripture, Job had three friends who came to him when calamity hit. Do you remember those three guys? Let's go to Job 2 and pick it up. It says here, now, when Job's three friends heard of this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naathite. For they had an appointment together to come and mourn with him to comfort him. Verse 12 of Job 2. And when, God, and when they raised their eyes from afar, I want you to get this, they did not recognize him. They lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and threw dust on his head toward heaven. They sat down with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him in all because they saw what great grief he was in. So I want you to think about this. Here's Job. He's lost all his children. His, his property's been destroyed. His health is gone. He's covered with boils. He's scratching himself with broken pottery. He's in a miserable situation. And here comes his three friends. And you know what? These guys care about him. You say, well, how do you know that? First of all, they came. And listen, when they saw him and they saw what a mess he was in, 
they wept for him. They loved him. And not only that, they sat with him for seven days and seven nights. I can't get people to sit with me for seven minutes. And here these guys are sitting there, and not only that, they're with him, and they see how much he's hurting, and they don't say anything. These guys cared for Job. These guys loved him. These guys put in the time. But I want you to know, all that being true, if you study what goes on in the text here from that point forward, everything they say to him is wrong. Everything, all the counsel they give him is wrong. It's not the word of the Lord. And they tell him, well, you must have sinned, and come on, and you're telling me that God wouldn't do this, and you, you need to repent. Everything they tell him from that point forward is wrong. They're for him, but they don't have the word of the Lord for him. And so he couldn't take their counsel. Well, you know, Pastor, how about people the closest to me? Your closest people in your life, surely you can take their counsel. Well, not always. Look at Job's wife here in Job 2, 9 and 10. His wife says to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? This is the closest person in his life. She knows he's a man of integrity. Guess what? She's beat up by all this. She lost all her kids too. And she's emotional, and she comes unglued, and she says to him, are you still holding fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Well, thanks, honey. Anything else? But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall not accept adversity in all this Job did not sin with his lips. Sometimes even the closest people to you in crisis, emotion, emotions will come unraveled and their counsel will not be of God. Job's wife did not have the word of the Lord for him. Curse God and die was not even a good plan B. How about if the person is confident and eloquent and persuasive? Well, sometimes those are the worst people. Well, you know, they're accomplished and they're confident and they're, you know, they're elder statesmen. And look what Saul told David, you know, okay, you want to face Goliath? Take my armor. That was not the word of the Lord. Look what the serpent told Eve. You know what? You know, God said you'll die. You surely will not die. God just knows you're going to be like him. And, and, and he lies to her. He deceives her. Confident, eloquent, words smooth as oil. Be careful who you let speak into your life. When you're in crisis, when your emotions are frazzled, you come to leadership, you come to pastors, you come to people who will tell you the truth uh, regardless of whether you want to hear it or not. You know, you need people like that in your life. Some people are just rose-colored glasses. Oh, it's going to be this and it's going to be that and it's going to work out and blah, blah, blah. And it's not the word of the Lord. Sometimes the prophets in the Old Testament said, get your house in order because you're going to die. I've never had to say that to anybody, but I'm waiting. I'm waiting for a chance. Find somebody who will tell you the truth. Amen. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Amen. You know, people who will just tell you the truth. Job couldn't listen to any of, the, of his friends. He couldn't take his wife's counsel. It doesn't matter if they're well-meaning, they're close to you, or they're eloquent and persuasive. All that matters is that they have the word of the Lord for you. When Jesus heard these wrong words being spoken, he addresses them immediately. And remember that immediacy we see in Mark's writings here. Well, 
Jesus right away, he addresses the words here. It says, as soon, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Now, I want you to know, when Jesus does something, immediately there's a reason. The reason he addresses these words that were spoken is, number one, they are not the word of the Lord, and number two, he knew the destructive potential they had for Jarius. If Jarius received that word, it would shatter his faith and it would abort his miracle. I want you to get this today. Why? Because all of us need miracles in our lives and all of us have other voices saying things to us that are not the word of the Lord. And if we heed them and we allow them to take root in our heart, look, words are like seeds and seeds take root. If you entertain a word long enough, it will take root in your mind, it will get into your heart and then it will attack your faith. We have got to root out all the words that are not from the Lord. Many of us have words that have been spoken over us that are not from God. People said, you'll never succeed. You'll always be a failure. You'll never be good enough. You, you, listen, those things we heard as children from other people that still stick with us. Jesus immediately came against that word and he rebutted it. He did not allow it to take root. He knew the destructive ability it had to inject fear into Jarius and shatter his faith. Jesus disarms those words as if he was disarming a bomb. You know, we've all watched enough TV. What, what's the wire? Do you cut the red wire or the green? Which wire? Nobody knows. You're all going to blow up. We didn't learn anything. Jesus knows exactly how to defuse the bomb of these wrong words. He knows which wire to cut, and he calls it by name. He cuts the wire of fear. He says, that, he says, no, 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 don't you accept that. Don't be afraid, only believe. He calls fear out by name. Now, how you and I respond to fear is interesting in that being afraid is often reflexive at first, but at some point becomes a choice. Some of us are scared initially, and that's just the reflexive nature of fear. Why? Because things happen to us in life that just, I mean, no matter how much faith, no matter how mature you are in the Lord, some things that visit us, man, they just shake us for a minute. And it takes even the most seasoned saint to catch their balance, amen? You know, I like to, I like to entertain myself at home, so when my wife's walking into a room, sometimes I'm hiding, and, you know, I'll see her coming around the corner, and, you know, you know usually my, my sons are pretty good. They look for my shadow before they come around the corner. But I get Kim sometimes, and she'll come around, I'm like, boo, and, you know, ah, and it's scared, and she hits me with the broom. It's great. Good time at the Leonardi house. But you can't help being afraid of something like that, yes. something like this. You can't help being afraid. You know, that, that's just startling, amen? But, you know, after that, she's not in the corner going, where is he? Oh, he's there. I've got to keep an eye. No, listen, at some point when the shock of the initial thing is over, we have to either choose to let it go or choose to remain in fear. So fear starts off reflexively, but if we're going to remain in fear, that's our choice. And what I want you to understand today is that God does not want us to choose fear. You know, a year ago in this COVID and pandemic and all this stuff, there was a lot of fear. Why? Because we were shocked. We'd never been through this before. We didn't understand a lot of things. There's a lot and still is a lot of mixed information out there. So a lot of us were afraid. 
But at this point, if we are still afraid, we've chosen to remain in fear because our God is bigger than what's going on in the earth right now. He's got us in the palm of his hand. No one's going to snatch us out of his hand. We can trust him. Amen. Now, I'm not saying be stupid and be foolish and lick doorknobs and windows. I'm not saying that. I'm saying don't walk in fear. Because if we walk in fear at this point, it's a choice. I'm so glad to see the body of Christ choosing to reject fear and trust the Lord. Amen. To reject fear and to have faith. Starts off reflexive. Eventually, it becomes a choice. When the initial shock of anything wears off, choose not to remain in fear. Now, the fact that Jerry is is told by Jesus that he has a choice in the matter, you know, the implications there, he says, you know, to him, do not be afraid. That implies he has a choice. You mean, Jerry says, like, well, I have a choice in the matter? Absolutely. He had a choice to believe the wrong report out of the person's mouth or to believe what Jesus was saying. You see that? It's decision time. Whose report are we going to believe? Amen. The report of the Lord or the report of the experts. Your daughter is dead. And we're going to see that even Jesus rebuts that. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us some things about fear. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. We've heard that scripture over and over again. Here's what I want you to grab from it today. Fear is not just an emotion, it's a spirit. And the enemy uses fear on us as a spiritual attack. Why? Because fear undoes faith. You you can't have great faith and fear at the same time. You can have one or the other. They're mutually exclusive. So if we choose fear, then it's going to wither our faith away. So the Bible's telling us that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Look, I don't want any spirit in me, around me, uh, assaulting me, talking to me, speaking to me, other than the Holy Spirit, amen? That's the only spirit I want. How about you today? So if God has not given me that spirit, then I don't want it. I don't want fear. I choose not to be afraid. God has given us what? Power, love, and a sound mind. Woo! Spiritual power. You and I are supposed to have it. These signs shall follow them that believe. Amen. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Come on. Spiritual power today. Amen. Love, love, it's all about love. God loves me, God's got me, God can keep me. It's not about fear, it's about love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Are you afraid? Get to know God better. He loves you, he's got you, he's for you. He'll never abandon you. He's with you now, he'll be with you to the end. And a sound mind, amen? You know, say sound, say mind. That's what you're supposed to have. You're not supposed to be crazy. Oh, and I heard this, and I heard that, and I heard this, and I heard that. Yeah, all the wrong reports. Man, I'll tell you what. I've discovered the key to happiness. Stay away from crazy people and turn off all the media and just stay in the presence of God. Amen? Amen? Man, I'm telling you. Through the phone, through the computer, through the TV, through the, you know, social media. It's that, that's where all the fear comes from. I know it's like selling pork chops to a rabbi over this one, but we got to let some of this stuff go and close off the, 
close off the doorways that are allowing the fear to pour in. God's not giving us that spear. I'll take the, the power, the love, and the sound mind. I want to have peace, amen? So you might look and say, come on, Pastor. You know, Jerry has had every right to be afraid. Why? I mean, this was the worst news you could possibly get. You know, he's anxious. He's on his way. Jesus doesn't make it in time. You know, it's now in the realm of the impossible. Of course, Jerry has had every right to be afraid. I want to tell you three reasons why Jarius shouldn't be afraid. Number one, Jarius should not have been afraid because Jesus was still with him. Look, if you're alone in life, doing it all on your own, doing it by your own strength, please be afraid. In fact, I'm afraid for you. Because if you try to do things in your own strength and, and solve the issues of life in your own strength, you, you're, you're going to get beat down pretty hard by life. So if you're trying to do it on your own, please be afraid. Call me. I'll come over and be afraid with you. And we can figure out how, you know, to not be afraid. But if Jesus is with you, if he's right alongside of you, if he's in you, you and I have no right to be afraid. It's foolish. Pastor Mike, the disciples were on the boat, and the boat's taking water, and Jesus is getting his beauty rest. Ah. And what? They're scared that they're going to sink and drown, and Jesus is on their boats. How foolish is that? Look, if Jesus is on your boat, don't be afraid. If Jesus is with you, don't be afraid. If he's not with you, let's solve that problem today. Today's the day of salvation. You must be born again. But once you're born again, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Come on, he's with you. So if he's with you, don't be afraid. If you're on your own, stop doing it on your own. The Lord's inviting you today to come and be a daughter, be a son of his. And then you don't have to be afraid. Jarius shouldn't have been afraid because Jesus is right there with him. Come on. Number two, Jarius shouldn't have been afraid because Jesus was on his way to address his issue. You know, how many times, well, I know Jesus is with me, but I got this problem, Pastor, and I've been praying about it a long time, and nothing's happened. Come on. This is just real stuff, right? Getting real in the house of God. I've been praying five, 10, 15 years, still got the same trouble, still got the same issue, still got the same problem. I know Jesus is with me. I feel his presence when I worship him. But Jesus was not only with Jarius, he was on his way to solve his issue. With every step, he was getting closer to being within you know, the place where he could lay hands on this girl and heal her. Remember what his faith was? Come lay your hands on her and she will live. That was happening. It was getting closer. Look, every day we serve the Lord. Every day we pray. Every day we believe. Every day we stand in faith. Every day we trust the Lord. It's a step closer. He's on his way. He's en route. He's going to solve your issue. Don't quit on him. Don't quit on him. Don't. But I've been praying a long time, and they haven't got saved yet. Don't quit. But I've been believing for healing in my body, and it hasn't come yet. Don't quit. Jesus is on his way. And if he's on his way, he's going to get there in his perfect timing. The trick is not to quit on him or quit on yourself. Jarius shouldn't have been afraid because Jesus was with him. and Jesus was on his way to solving his issue. And number three, Jarius shouldn't have been afraid because he needed a miracle and Jesus did them everywhere he went. Sometimes we forget 
living in this carnal world, in these flesh bodies, that we serve a miracle-working God. So, well, you say, Pastor, yeah, there was 37 of them. Listen, Jesus didn't stop doing miracles when the gospel stopped recording them. He's like, did I hit 37? I'm done. You know, oh, those were good. That was fun. Let's, uh, you know, no more miracles. There are some churches that say no more miracles, no more healing, no more gifts of the Spirit, no more. I can't find it anywhere in here. I've been studying this and preaching this since I'm 14 years old. I can't find anywhere it says no more. I find where it says greater things than this shall you do. I find where it says these signs shall follow them that believe. Come on. I find that. Jesus was with him. Jesus was on his way. <laughs> Jesus does miracles. He was about to do one for Jarius, and he is well able to do one for you. The first three layers of resistance were it's beyond the realm of possibility it's just a nuisance to God at this point. And the, the sensible thing to do is to quit and to bow to fear. And all of those are lies. And all of those are layers of resistance. Don't you give up. Don't you give in. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. and He will make your path straight. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you for this miracle. I thank you for the word. Father, I thank you that by the Holy Spirit, faith is being stirred up in this house, that we've been a little cynical, that we've been a little uh, just beat down by life, that we've forgotten in moments that our God is a miracle-working God. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He sets captives free. He delivers people from addiction. He sets the prostitute free and the drug addict free. He turns lives around. He breaks chains. That's the God we serve. He's not the great I was. He's not the great has been. He's the great I am. And Father, in every area in our lives where we need miracles, in our bodies, in our relationships, in our faith, in our children, in our marriages. Today, we stretch our faith to believe you for the impossible. But everyone around us says, no, it's too far gone. It's dead. It's over. Give up. Quit. You're just being a nuisance at this point. God, we reject the, those words, and we receive the word of the Lord. You are the God who does miracles. So do them in the lives of your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. And The church said, Let's keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're here today and you've never had an opportunity to ask Jesus into your life to be your Lord and your Savior, I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you say, Pastor, I'm hearing all of what you're saying and I'm hearing about these miracles and, you know, Jesus was with Jarius, but I'm not sure if he's with me. Today, before you leave this place, you can be sure that he's with you because the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. When you and I come to him, and, and as broken people, as desperate people, confessing our sins, he shows himself to be the Savior. None of us can address the issue of our own sin. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. We need grace. We need Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that whosoever calls on his name will be saved. He turns no one away no respecter of person. He doesn't care the color of your skin or how much money you make or your level of intelligence. If you ask him to forgive you and be your savior, he'll come into your life. He'll fill you with his spirit. He'll make you brand new, give you a fresh start and a clean slate. 
you want that today, I simply want you to raise your hand and say, I want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Who here needs to do that today? Don't miss this opportunity. Anyone here need to accept Jesus? I've seen a lot of saved people, and that's okay. But I want to cast the net out. If you're not right with God, if, you, if you've walked away or if you grew up in church, but you walk back into the world, now's your moment to make your peace with God and to come back. He, he won't reject you if you come humble. He won't reject you if you come broken. So this morning, Father, we bring our hearts before you and we ask that we would be right with you. We confess our sin. We confess our laziness. We conf- confess that we've, we've lusted for other things, but Lord, we repent of those things and we come back to you. From this moment forward, we want to serve you. and Be part of your kingdom. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.